This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today by Toby Swallow, who I last saw, I think, on the shores of Lake Wanaka, just after doing the ruby swim. Yes, that'd be it. Did your arms recover? Um, My arms were fine, yeah. My um, hip flexors were a bit sore the next day, though. So, obviously, I'm using my legs too much. Using your legs too much in long distance, that's unheard of. Well, um, no, it was a good event. Did you enjoy it? Because you did the 10K, didn't you? I did. Wasn't that water just incredible? And those underwater shots that they took. Yeah. They're amazing. I really enjoyed those. How long did it take you to wash all the algae off? Uh, About three weeks. Yeah, I discovered a bit the other day in Pilates. I was (laughs) putting my hands and doing some stretching. And I looked down and I said, oh, still got a bit on me. So, yeah. Um, very enjoyable. So where are you? Um, I'm based in Balclutha at the moment. And what do you do in Balclutha? I'm a high school teacher. I'm the head of department for science at South Otago High School. So how was your lockdown? We've gotten away with having to say your first lockdown because we've only actually have had one real lockdown. A few close calls, but just one so far. Um, it was strange. It didn't actually make a a huge amount of difference to me in some ways because I was on study leave last year um, studying for a master's in education by distance and remote learning. So I was quite used to having Zoom tutorials once a week and reading information online and getting up when I felt like and drinking coffee (laughs) and wearing elasticated trousers. The difference it made was when the kids were home as well um, and we suddenly started having to homeschool them My partner, my wife, Linda, was doing a distance course as well last year. So she was training to be a primary school teacher. And her course and my course didn't really slow down at all because of the shutdown. But we had the kids at home as well. Um, And fortunately, because she was training to be a primary school teacher, she took on the homeschooling. And I did the home kindy with the youngest one. So we played lots of board games and... um, basic reading stuff with him and then in the afternoons we'd go for long walks with the dog and um, we were really lucky with the weather down here in Balclutha um I'm it was just an amazing autumn that sort of it seems to stay summer for a long mm-hmm. long time and I think also my my kids I've got three children so they're currently just about to turn 11 eight and a half and five and a half they were kind of a perfect age for it because we weren't too concerned about catching them up with high school learning or, you know, hot housing them or anything like that. Um, and we could spend, we spent a lot of time with them. And I don't think that's an opportunity we're ever going to get back. So in some ways that lockdown was for us was really quite positive. 
which sounds, and as I say it, I'm aware that there's a lot of people who struggled with the lockdown in many ways, and, and I've got friends and relatives back in the UK, and I can't fathom what they're going through with their third major lockdown in the middle of winter, school shut till March, and, you know, I think that, for me personally, that's been the toughest bit of this whole COVID, is what's going on back in the UK to people I know. Yeah, and that tension of they are having it, doing it so hard, and that we are mostly doing it so well. And it, it, yeah. it's quite uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, and, the, you know, so we do Zooms with people back in the UK occasionally. And because of the time difference, we're having breakfast and they're drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll say, oh, you know, what have you been up to this week? Oh, well, yeah, we went out to Dunedin and we went to the swimming pool and we did this, that, and, the, you know, we went camping over Christmas. And they're all sat there going, but we'd love to, you know, and it, it feels like you're skiting or showing off or boasting just talking about being normal and that feels really awkward sometimes i think yeah yeah we've been talking to people in in lancaster and in various places in the midlands so who describe it as that they haven't left the house since march last year mm, yeah uh and it I, I think my parents are doing it although dad puts a good face on it my parents are doing it tough because effectively they've been under house arrest since february and it it only takes dad to say something casual on Skype, like, oh, I went down the supermarket for a pint of milk. And you're like, dad, you, you know, just, seriously, dad, you, and then you think it's just, you know, but it seems to have, they're, they're I don't know, they're habituated to it now and they shouldn't ought to be, you know, so I don't know. It's, um, we, we got off quite lightly. So you said you were going, you went camping over the Christmas. How, how was your, how was your Kiwi summer of, of, the fact that we probably wouldn't have left left the country anyway, but the fact that we couldn't left the country meant that the whole country went out and had a great summer. Yeah, we went to um, Christchurch just before Christmas. We tend to go the week before Christmas because the campsites were a lot quieter then. Um, so we were on a big one in Spencer Park, Spencer's Wood, just north of Christchurch. And we had a couple of days of really good weather um, and a couple of days of really poor weather. But, you know, the, we went to the Margaret Mayhee playground, which is just awesome, an awesome resource. Uh, we went, I don't know, the new library they've got up there, which, again, absolutely amazing. You know, there's free Lego for the kids to play with when it's raining, and you can just sit there on a the sofa reading a book or surfing the net on the free Wi-Fi. And um, took them to, have you ever been to Jelly Park up that way? Mm-hmm. The open-air swimming pool? Yeah. Um, and that was awesome for them as well. Um, I like it there because it's a 50-meter open-air pool, which means a lot less tumble turns. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and we, we, because we live in a rural location, doing city stuff is, is a good holiday for us. You know, right, riding yeah. the escalators at Rickerton Mall and enjoying traffic lights and traffic jams, all the stuff we don't really get in Valclutha. So that was nice. And then we came back here for Christmas. Um, and basically Linda was getting ready for her new job, uh, teaching years one and two at a local primary school. I was finishing off my master's, um, project report. Um, and that was pretty much the summer for us, but it was, you know, nice and relaxed. Did you have to do a research component? Yeah, well, it was, um, it was a action research 
um, and it was a practice-based masters uh, through the Mind Lab. So I had a project that I was running in school about e something called e-portfolios for six weeks, and then it was just a case of writing it up and drawing some conclusions. What did you find? So, um, e-portfolios can work really well to enhance students' learning, but I'm not sure if the extra engagement I got during the project was a function of the e-portfolios or a function of the different activities we were doing or a function of the fact that I'm a fairly experienced teacher with a big voice <laughs> who can uh, yell at the kids a bit more than the two regular class teachers do. So, but um, it was good to try something new and it was, you know, it, there were definite improvements in behavior and engagement. So it's something that I'm continuing with this year and that some of the other staff are continuing with as well. So that was nice. You'd recommend, if people could, taking a study leave? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for a couple of reasons. Um, you work as a lecturer at the Polytechnic, don't you? Yeah. So Zoom would be part of your working day is reading background papers and research pieces and finding out what everyone else in your field is doing. Well, as, as teachers, we, high school teachers, I think, we don't get an allowance for that. We don't get time for that. <laughs> and it's um, annoying because not only do we have to be subject experts, but we've also got to be pedagogical experts. And so keeping up with all the latest uh, research, it just doesn't happen if you don't have you're not specifically given time to do it. Mm -hmm. So it was nice for that reason. Um, it was nice to have a change of scene as well um, and do something different. And I've also always really enjoyed learning. And I think um, as teachers, we're supposed to model lifelong learning. And this was, <laughs> this was one way of doing it, I guess. You know, so it was pretty visible to the whole community that Mr. Swallow's doing some learning. Right. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, and it was it was really interesting as well. We did lots of stuff on uh, modern education, um, cultural diversity, leadership, collaboration, uh, digital fluency, just a range of things. Mm. Sounds fun. I'm writing a book at the moment, or writing a chapters in a book for Dave Parsons. He's from MindLab, isn't he? Um, he sounds familiar, yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, no, actually, yes. Is He, he was one of the guys who... Um, um, was on my panel for my presentation for my master's thesis. He must be important then. Oh, well, yeah, that was a bit nerve-wracking because we went up to Auckland to do the presentation and originally we thought there'd be three panellists there plus the rest of our cohort, which is about five of us, plus about five or six people from the part-time component. But there was this delay to the start and the room just filled up and up <laughs> and up. And we went from expecting to pre present about... 10, 15 people to 50, 60, maybe even 100 at one point. And there's all these very serious educational professionals, teachers, who are about to start their courses or are hot, and are going like, come on then, impress us. You lot have just you know, we want to <laughs> So, but yeah, it was a nice atmosphere, but it was just a bit nerve-wracking turning around and just seeing all these faces looking at you, all with very high expectations. And sometimes you can get away with a wee bit of... Um, uh, I don't know what the phrase is. You can sort of, without swearing about it, you can get away with a bit of bovine excrement to a year 10 class or year 13 class. <laughs> but when it's your peers 
who are on this course, then you've you've got to do it because it's a blowtorch. It will just, <laughs> you know, you can't you know can't hedge your bets, can't skirt around any of the issues. You have to go into it and yeah, just, you know. So that was it was kind of cool, but yeah, yeah, it's good because it was the first time I've been to Auckland. Oh, was it? Yeah, um, I've I sort of I've been to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> picked up a rental van in Onihunga one time but I'd not been to Auckland and that was weird because you there's no horizon anywhere no <laughs> <laughs> and uh you see it on the telly and stuff and I didn't realize how hilly and steep it was it is that's they're short little hills but they are steep yeah yeah they're pretty intense <laughs> and you, you go around the corner you're like oh that's the sky tower I've seen that on the telly and that looks like an America's cut boat in the day <laughs> Uh, they are so, seriously quick boats. Now, I need to put in the first of your music choices. Chris Christopherson, help me yeah. make it through the night. Why this one? Why? Um, Chris Christopherson's one of the most underrated songwriters to come out of 60s America and the folk scene. Um, this one in particular, because it always makes me think of my partner. Um, but also, he does a wonderful duet of this song with Miss Piggy on The Muppets. And if you... <laughs> If you've not seen it, it's on YouTube, and it's just wonderful. Um, I was always a big fan of the Muppets growing up, and um, the way that he interacts with Miss Piggy, and she interacts with with him. I notice you've got a big love puppet on the shelf behind you that looks like the Cookie Monster. It's kind of. It's not actually. Right. But, But yes, absolutely. Maybe we should just talk about the Muppets for the rest of the time. Uh, I can talk about the Muppets for hours. Take the ribbon from your hair Shake it loose and let it fall Laying soft upon my skin Like the shadows on the wall Come and lay down by my side Till the early morning light All I'm taking is your time Help me make it through tonight I don't care who's right or wrong I don't try to understand Let the devil take tomorrow Lord, tonight I need a friend Yesterday is dead and gone And tomorrow's out of sight And it's sad to be alone Help me make it through the night Lord, it's sad to be alone Help me make it through the night 
so how is Belclutha doing? Uh, it seems to be fine. Um, we get a bit nervous when it comes to things like lockdowns. Um, we coped as a community, I think we coped pretty well with the first um, lockdown, the level four lockdown. It didn't seem to make too much difference day to day. There was a lot less traffic because um, we live right on the, the um, state highway here. Um, and normally we have animal trucks, logging trucks, milk tankers going past about 10, 15 yards from our front door, you know, um, all hours of the day and night. And that just didn't happen as much. Um, it was nice to go out riding my bike a bit more without worrying about traffic. Um, you know, it's it's a fairly small, but it's quite a resilient community. So um, I think we coped pretty well with it. And how's the school going? Did you... Um, again, it's it, everyone got a bit... I'll be very careful how I say this. Um, it was a bit of a culture shock to go from face-to-face um, -face teaching to online learning for some people. And there were certainly some issues with equity of access. Um, we've been a bring-your-own-device school for some time, and the school had to make a real effort to make sure that all pupils had um, a device with a keyboard like a Chromebook, and that all pupils had um, access to the internet. Um, but again, most of them seemed to cope. I think most of the pupils were all right with the online learning, but where they suffered was a uh, lack of sports and cultural stuff. Um, there was just no rugby for them to play, or the, mm -hmm. no swimming pool was shut, so there was nowhere. If I was going to level a criticism at Balclutha, much as I enjoy living here and like living here, there's not really much for child, pupil, uh, young people to do from about the age of 14 to about the age of going away at 18. Mm -hmm. um, the nearest cinemas, Dunedin or Gore, the nearest bowling alleys, Dunedin. There's just um, so even when those options are, are, are taken away, there was just nothing. So the, the pupils at the school, their school life is their social life. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen many overt symptoms post lockdown of anxiety or um, anything like that. But you kind of get the impression that everyone breathed a massive sigh of relief when we went back down to level one this afternoon. Even yeah. if they didn't realize they were breathing a sigh of relief, everyone seemed a bit bit more relaxed about stuff um it yeah it's like i say i was on leave last year so all this stuff happened and i i came back and you know was pretty oblivious to it so um but yeah it's a good it's a good school it's a you know it's got a nice atmosphere in the staff room the vast majority of the kids at the school are absolutely lovely um and you know it is what it is we do it day by day and we've got a good uh good facilities for sport and stuff like that so so do you build in to the the classroom discussions discussion about what's going on with the with the pandemic with some classes yeah um certainly year 13 um and i have talked to all of my classes about what happens if <laughs> what my expectations are if we go back into lockdown whether we're going to be doing um um lots of uh zoom meetings or whether i'm a set work 
and then they just check in once a week on Zoom. I, I you know, it's 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 difficult. Year thirteen would be a lot of them work quite independently anyway, um, and I can do a lot of the checking in with them just by sharing documents or email and stuff like that. Year ten, they want a bit more actual teaching, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So you'd be doing more Zoom meetings with them. But if they ask me, because I'm a biology specialist, if they ask me questions about stuff, I, I try and answer them as best or as honestly as I can. You know, and sometimes I turn around and say, I can't answer that. I don't know. Um, interesting discussion about anti-vaxxers today in Year 13 bio. So I was kind of hoping it wasn't going to come. Well, it is what it is. You must have to go down the line of the science. Not have to go down the line of the science. I assume you go down the line of the science. Yeah, the, the yes, the science is pretty unequivocal, you know. Um, and it helps in a way that Year 13 are currently doing a standard uh, biology 3.2 socio-scientific issue, where they have to pick an issue and then examine the evidence for and against. So um, this year, I've let them. I've given them agency. In teacher speak, they've got they've been able to pick their own topics. So I've got um, quite a few are doing legalisation of cannabis, uh, which is a really good issue to talk to teachers about. Um, uh, some others are doing uh, gene editing for pest control. A couple more are doing genetic modification of the food chain. Uh, one's doing nitrates in water. So it's j- just a range of, of topics. And the the rabbit holes that open up and we disappear down in discussions cover a range of um, of topics that you don't normally get to talk to children about because it's not curriculum, it's life. Yeah. And curriculum and life don't always cross over. And it quite quickly gets you to that point of being able to say, I don't know, let's find out. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you what, and I... I quite often tell them that I have to be able to argue both sides of every argument and that the reason I am arguing against them is to present the alternative view. It does not necessarily mean I support that view. So when they, you know, so that sort of, I don't want, I I keep telling them, I don't want to make your minds up for you. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm going to tell you to vote, but make your own mind up based on the information that you get but know whether the information is good or not and it's really tricky because these guys are the next generation of voters um and obviously i know a way that i'd like them to vote but i'd much prefer that they just voted and participated Um, is it a is it a challenge getting the the kids to understand that science is not really about the facts it's actually the process and that process means that the the facts will in fact change as as understandings change um it can be they sometimes tend to be quite black and white about stuff and they don't always understand the nuances of it but again you you put the evidence in front of them as best you can um tell them that this is the way it is or this is the, the way it's perceived or this is what the research shows and when we say this is what the research shows what that means is um and then like i say you you have to let them go and make up their own minds but most, you know, but they're, they're my year 13 class this year, they're a really nice bunch of kids. So, and obviously, because they've chosen to do my subject, they must be adorable. <laughs> and, and, and know how to pick the right teachers. Are they, 
are they aiming for careers in science do you think or is science underpinning the the wider range of stuff they're doing at the start of every year for um, year 13, I sit down and I ask them, what is it you want out of this course? Where do you see yourself this time next year? And we generally have about, if we have 24 in the class, we'll have three, four, maybe five want to be nurses, two, three, maybe four um, go, want to, their stated aim is healthcare at Otago Uni, and then there'll be two or three more who want to do something sciencey or something biological and then the rest is a mixture of pupils that want UE for going to university but they don't know what yet or pupils who've taken biology because they've been told that they have to do a science mm-hmm. or pupils that have picked it because their mate has picked it <laughs> so I've got someone in the class wants to be a beautician someone else in the class wants to be a butcher someone else wants to be a primary school teacher two vets which is quite unusual because we haven't had a vet for a while. A couple of doctors, geneticist, uh, engineer, just all sorts, really. Mm. So it's, it's quite varied. And some want an excellence endorsement and some just want the credits and to finish school and get out of there with their leader certificate. So it's quite, quite a range of abilities. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. emotions. Here we find ourselves in a position newly granted free level one here in the South Island to Waipunamu and level two for those up in Auckland and level one for the rest of the north. So this is really fantastic news and I really hope that things will continue to go well for everybody and of course for us here in Aotearoa New Zealand we're so lucky that we are in this state of freedom we can frolic about it's my beloved Barbace's birthday this weekend so I'll be really looking forward to that wonderful ladies making us some special cakes I have a birthday party out at Orokanuri for a lovely who I've been lucky enough to host for her birthdays for the last few years so that's really special and I know for all of us, the ability to be able to connect and spend time together is just so important in terms of our sense of who we are and what we can do. We're so lucky here that we can do that. And I know for many of our loved ones around the rest of the world, this form of connection is not possible at this time. But I'm so grateful that we have other ways to connect at this time in our life. And I'm very lucky that I can speak to my beautiful mum in St Ives every day hear how she's getting on. She's had her first vaccination, which is really exciting. I'm really happy for her. It's her beautiful garden that she can connect with. And although we are apart, we can still feel that love. And for me, for most of my life, I've been away from people that I love, having moved to the UK when I was a wee girl and then having returned. So I know that it is possible to always feel those connections and feel that sense of togetherness, even if you are apart. And 
I think particularly at this time when we are facing a lot of new challenges that we haven't encountered before, it's important that we acknowledge that even if we are venturing into the unknown, we're always connected with our own power, our own intelligence, our own skill base. As a species, as all life, we have the ability to adapt and to sustain ourselves through the most unexpected of shifts and changes and we have for the last several billion years. So whether or not we can consciously engage with a strategy moving forward, we are held, we are embraced by a legacy of survival. And these innate skills go with us future. I really hope that for all of you, you're finding ways to celebrate this positive turn of events and arranging some things for yourself to look forward to in the coming days. I'm so grateful, of course, that I have these five minutes each day with you and it helps me enormously in terms of getting the best perspective on things that are taking place around. So I really hope that for you, whatever is happening around you, you have that sense of your innate power, your innate ability to always feel your freedom and your ability to choices, whether or not this is on the scale that you would desire always or whether we have to make changes at this time. We still have the ability to choose how we wish to make those, those shifts and those changes for ourselves. So thank you for all the wonderful, wonderful work that you're doing every moment and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Toby Swallow. Toby Moira is not here, but I'm going to ask her question anyway. What's the role of imagination in the work you do? Um, there's a lot, excuse me, <clears throat> there's a lot of creativity. Um, you have to be able to create interesting and engaging lessons. Um, and if you lack an imagination, that can be a real stumbling block, I think. Um, if you expand imagination to include empathy, which I would argue that you can do, um, if you lack empathy with your pupils, if you lack empathy with your students, um, you're never going to be able to see their point of view. You're never going to know where they're coming from, um, and it's going to make your life a lot harder. So thinking up ways to present information in new and uh, entertaining ways, um, thinking up ways of relating to people especially, and some of the concepts we teach require the use of imagination to to visualize them so for example year 11 science we teach about the structure of an atom and at year year 11 we keep it reasonably simple we use the solar system model of a central nucleus and bits whizzing around it but if you can't describe it in a vivid and imaginative way or come up with a way of showing it in a vivid in a vivid or imaginative way then the pupils aren't going to grasp it so I'd say there's a lot of imagination, um, but it tends to be quite funneled. <laughs> you know, you can come up with a really good lesson plan for something, but with seniors, if it doesn't fit the curriculum, then it sort of, you know, you put it on a back burner. Um, with juniors, you can do some really imaginative stuff with them um, and get them really engaged, but you'd still find yourself having to justify, justify your flights of fancy. Um, and that can be a wee bit of a handbrake sometimes, I think. She will so, be most yeah. excited. She will be most excited to hear you making that link between imagination and empathy, because that's the pretty much the conclusion for her doctorate. 
Oh, really? Is 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 on that link. She's also talks quite a lot about the um, what happens in school that we send kids off to school as five year olds, brim full of of imagination, and the process of schooling seems to take it out of people. Yeah, it does because currently schooling is set up in. Um, I'm going to paraphrase um, an Indian entrepreneur called Sugata Mistra um, next. And he was on a talk I watched as part of my course last year. And he basically sort of said the origins of modern schooling lie in the military industrial complex where you were um, teaching pupils enough so that they could take their place in the, the front row of the infantry or they could take their place in the factory. And you don't want imaginative creative types for that you want followers people who are going to be fitting the mold and there was a lad a, a lad huh, there was a bloke called sir ken robinson who did a very famous ted talk um i don't know if you'd have seen it yep but it's a it's an animated whiteboard one yeah. mm -hmm. um i always refer to it as the sausage sausage factory model um, but he doesn't actually specifically mention the sausage factory and he talks a lot about that as well but even if you go back as far as um, the 1800s, there's a book by Samuel Butler called Air One, which is Nowhere Backwards. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those books that's um, uh, sort of like um, Gulliver's Travels, where the Victorian adventurer goes off and he sees a, a society and the author holds up a mirror to society, a Victorian society perhaps, and is able to get away with it because it's satirical. Um, but in this book, the, the traveller goes to a university um, and talks to a lecturer there. And the lecturer is the professor of unworldly wisdom. And he says something to the effect of, it's not our job to teach children to think for themselves. It's our job to teach children to think as we say, as we do, or at least as we say we do. Um, and then there was another writer I read recently, uh, an insane French Marxist whose name I forget but he talks about um, school has replaced religion as the ideological state apparatus of just indoctrinating children into the, the rigid rules of society um, and you, you read these things independently of one another um, and it just makes you think yeah schools do kill creativity you don't need to be creative to pass an exam you need to regurgitate knowledge. Um, and I can't remember the name of the person, but there was a, a education talk in Christchurch a couple of years ago, and um, a lady from England, oh, it's going to bug me because I can't remember her name, she talked about six, seven existential crises facing humankind, mm -hmm. um, and that these crises aren't going to be solved by the traditional model of schooling. They're going to be solved by creative thinkers, collaborative thinkers, critical thinkers, and people who are adept at communication. And that it's those four skills um, that are going to enable us to solve the six, seven existential crises for humankind. Um, she wrote a book, the book's called Thrive, mm -hmm. which is available from... It's available as an ebook from a certain nasty big American company. Or probably in the um, library. Uh, it might well be in the library, but the book's called Thrive and it's really worth reading. And you managed to get through that um, without quoting Pink Floyd. Uh, well, I'm not, I, I, there's some Pink Floyd I like, 
but there's other bits I'm firmly indifferent to. So let's instead have Manic Street Preachers with Little Baby Nothing. Why this one? Um, it's just a cool track. I walked into <laughs> a room when I was 17 years old and somebody had the album Generation Terrorists uh, pirated a copy from the university, was playing it on a tape deck in the common room at school and it still to this day after nearly 30 years after first hearing it still gives me goosebumps. The other thing about it, it was um, that album was the first thing I had in common with my younger brother Ben other than the fact that we were related and it, it always makes me think of him. So it's just a cool track.
Toby, we've seen lots of societal changes over the last year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, I think what should stick is um, workplace flexibility, um, being allowed to work more from home, um, greater flexibility with hours of work as well. Um, one of the things that I've thought about and had sort of chatted to other people about is way back when it all first started, um, the Prime Minister asked us to be a team of five million. And I think that worked in New Zealand because a lot of people have played team sports and no one wants to let the team down. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it would have would work in the UK, but I would like to think that New Zealand in particular can stick together as a team and continue to be a team of five million to, to get everyone through this as much as possible. Um, and I, I, I'm not foolish enough to think that they will. But I'd like other countries to learn from that example. Um, everyone seems to take a bit more care about each other as well. Um, I don't know if that's just rosy tinted glasses or whatever, but I'd like that to stick. Um, yeah, uh, that's Something else will occur to me at three o'clock in the morning and I'll wake up and go, I should have said that. But um, no, team of five million, flexible working hours and um, just people waking up to the possibility that there is a different way of doing things. So what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic for the bigger questions, the bigger challenges that we face, the intergenerational ones, climate change and social inequity, the ones that we can't fix just by staying at home for a few weeks? Um, this came up this afternoon with Year 13 because one of their one of them was arguing against the COVID-19 vaccine because it only took 10 months to develop, which, you know, um, I regard as a bit uh, mistaken. Um, I think one of the reasons it was managed to be developed so quickly because people were sharing their ideas more. I think there was a lot more collaboration between the different groups working on it. And uh, I think it's that collaboration and communication that's going to be the big, the, the thing that will save humanity um, from whichever one of the six, seven crises is going to end us. It's, it's collaboration and communication. So whether that's true or not, you know, fingers crossed so i have some questions to end the show with and not very much time so we should have to be quick what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years um my three kids probably that's a bit um saccharine isn't it but yeah i've got three children i'm very proud of we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you are in the team what is the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Um, crikey. Um, I'd like to say it's because I'm a good listener. On the evidence of the last half hour or so, you could also say I'm quite a good talker. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, if I could develop, if I wanted a superpower, it would be to be a good listener and actually listen to people. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, I wish I was, but I'm sort of something of a slacktivist, I suspect. Um, I try and change minds in the classroom. That's my activism. Sometimes I feel like that little Dutch boy putting his finger into the dike. But that that's, you know. 
So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, every day is different. I quite enjoy my, I quite enjoy my job. I don't enjoy every single aspect of my job. There are parts of it I could quite cheerfully do without. Um, they're a necessary evil, but I like working with the, the pupils I'm working with. Um, I like going out in the mornings and going for a run or a swim or a bike ride in that quiet hour before everyone else gets up. Um, I'm not naive enough to think I'm going to leave the board a better place for my passing. My footprints will wash away with the tides of time or something horribly poetic like that. But, you know, if I can make the people I meet think a bit more and a bit happier, then I'd be pleased with that. And I try and do that most days. I'd be lying if I said it was every day, but it's more often <laughs> most days. So what I is hope. the... What is the challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I sent an email today to Otago University to inquire about a doctorate of education. Good plan. Well, you know, that's if they'll take me. Um, and I've got a class of year 13s that I'd like to get through their exams and send them on their way into the world. And I've got a class of year 11s who I'd like them to do well in their, their studies as well. And my year 10s. They're a nice bunch. So, I, you know... Uh, and I've got a provisionally certified teacher that I'm mentoring as well. So those are my four four things for this year, I think. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, just slow down, take your time, enjoy the moments, and don't lose sight of the bigger picture, whatever that picture is. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. We are going out for as long as I can pretend it's summer we are going out to songs of summer so let's go out to the muppets hugga wugga you are my sunshine awesome choice
Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I have been joined by Toby Swallow in Balclutha. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.